Well, as they're taking their seat, if you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Haggai, go to Matthew and hang a couple of lefts, and you will be in the book of Haggai. I tell you, last week I was going to preach the book of Ezra and Haggai at the same time. Both of the books and Zechariah as well are all so close in time frame and their message is so similar that I was going to take Ezra and Haggai and and do them at the same time. But about 8.30 Sunday morning, uh, I decided that it would be too lengthy. There was too much good stuff in Ezra to do them both at the same time. And so I thought, well, I'll split them up. And it did my heart really well that many of you couldn't understand why I didn't preach the book of Haggai when the bulletin said next week was going to be Haggai. And so that meant to me that you guys had been following along and, and, and reading with me. And uh, I tell you, it meant more than you realize. And so today we're going to keep true on our promise. And we have arrived at the book of Haggai. But before we do, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, we come before you now not out of redundancy and not because of any particular order of service, but we come to you out of an overwhelming need for your spirit to work in our lives. God, we come to you knowing that you are the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, we know that it is only through you and the new heart that you've given us and your spirit inside of us, that anything good is able to come out of us. And so, God, we thank you that the work you've done in us through Christ, and God, we pray that as we study through this book of Haggai, that you would open our our eyes and our ears and our hearts to behold great things from your word. I pray that we would model our lives after the things that you've revealed to us. And God, I pray now that you would feed your people, and I pray that you would use me. And then we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Haggai, and just to stir you up by way of remembrance, that God chose a man named Abraham, and through Abraham, he was going to draw the nations of the world to himself. And the people that he chose, the nation of Israel, uh, was not obedient to the commands of God. And if they were not obedient to the commands of God, then there were blessings that would come as a result of obedience, and there were curses that would come as a result of disobedience. And so the people lived lives that were rebellious to God, and they got the curses that God promised. And so now they've already been, the nation of Israel has been taken captivity uh, into Babylon, and now... uh, The Medes and the Persians have captured Babylon, and now the Persian king has turned the Israelites loose, and they have gone and they've resettled back in the promised land. And we learned from uh, the book of Ezekiel that when the people go back into the promised land, when they leave captivity, that God's spirit is going to go with them, that he's going to change their hearts, and he's going to give them a heart to obey. And they're going to be God's people, and he's going to be their God. And we saw from the book of Ezra that this is happening beautifully. You've seen it through the book of Ezra that, that uh, Ezra... That God, through Ezra, confronts the people about a sin. And instead of the people being hard-hearted and evil and rejecting the Lord, this people now has a soft heart and they and repentance comes about in the land. And so all sorts of good things are happening in the book of Ezra. Now we're on to the book of Haggai. Ezra was a, was a history book. Haggai is the first of the post-exile prophets that I promised you were coming. Next week, or, or next week, just so you know, probably will not be Zechariah. If you notice, your bulletin says coming soon, not next week. 
that's a, that's a, I've been watching this, the political season, right? And so the pastor's just being political and being delicate, saying it's coming soon, but not next week. Next week is going to be the start of Advent. And so we're going to have, uh, I know we should have done it this week, but next week will kind of be a Thanksgiving service. Uh, I think you'll leave excited after the sermon about in the midst of all the turmoil around us, the, the great things that God is doing in our midst, uh, despite all of those other things. And then we're going to pick up with the book of Zechariah, and you're going to find that that fits perfectly into Advent upon the coming of Christ. But this week, first of the post-exile prophets is Haggai. So, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And so, the people are rebuilding the temple. Remember in the book of Ezra? They've rebuilt the foundation of the temple. They have this grand celebration. And then after they rebuild the foundation of the temple, nothing else happens. Persecution begins to come their way, and they stop the rebuilding of the temple. And so the word of God comes through Haggai, and God says, listen to this, God says that the people are saying, the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But back in Ezra, you have Cyrus, who's the king of the known world. He turns the people loose. And uh, it says in Ezra chapter 1, verse 2, you can just listen if you want to. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so you have a pagan king who God has told that he needs to build God a house. And so the pagan king turns all of the Israelites loose to go and rebuild the temple. Listen, verse 3, Whoever there is among you, all of his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So you have this proclamation from the king, Cyrus of Persia, to go and rebuild the temple. And he's not only telling them to rebuild the temple, but he's giving them all the people to do it. He's let loose. Uh, we were talking about numbers on Wednesday night. There's about 50,000 people that he has turned loose to go rebuild the temple. And not only that, but Cyrus is also going to finance the rebuilding of the temple, which is a very, very good thing. And you couldn't, you couldn't say this is not of God. So we get into Haggai that the, the building of the temple has stalled, and so God reprimands the people. Listen to this, Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So God comes on the scene through Haggai, and he says, Hey, look, guys, is it right? For you to live in your finished house with paneled walls while only the foundation of the Lord's house has been built. So they've stopped doing the Lord's work so that they could make themselves comfortable. You with me? That's what's going on here. And so listen to what God says. Verse 6. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. Now, he's not putting forth drunkenness. To be drunk means to be filled with something. And so you've, you've harvested, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You've drank, but there's not enough to be satisfied with your drink. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, 
earns wages to put into a purse with holes. And so this is what's going on. He says, you guys should be able to look around. They're still under the old covenant. Remember, the old covenant says, if you obey, there's blessings. If you disobey, there's curses. And the beginning of the curses, they start out easy and then they get more severe. And so Haggai is stirring them up to remembrance through God. God says, you've sown a bunch, but you're only eating a little. You've harvested a lot of grapes, but you're only getting a little bit of wine. You've got clothes, but you're still cold. And so there's, there's no satisfaction amongst the people. And then finally he says, you're earning money, but you're putting them into a purse with holes on it. And so it's like a person who takes a pocket full of change or has a pocket full of change, but it slowly drops out through the day. And when it's time to spend it, you don't have anything to show because it's all dripped away. And that's the state of things in Israel. And this is all because they've halted work on the temple. God's given them a task to accomplish and they're looking out for themselves, paneling their own houses instead of doing the work of the Lord. Now, verse 7, this is the remedy. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. And so, how do you fix the problem? How do you get to keep everything that you have? Well, you finish doing the Lord's work. And then it says in verse 9, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, and on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. And so because of the people's lack of building the house of the Lord, God has brought these things on the people. Now, be careful here. I'm about to, to make an application that could be dangerous if you push it too far. This is under the old covenant, right? And so these are old covenant promises that God has promised to bring these things for a lack of obedience. But there's a principle here that I want you to get in your life. If when, when someone comes for some sort of counseling, they usually come because something is, is wrong, right? Everybody, nobody goes to counseling when everything's okay. Usually things are falling apart. And so someone goes to someone for counseling. Now, if you know anything about counseling, there's, there's several different methods of counseling there. There's biblical counseling that you could go to. And then there's a, uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but there's a worldly, uh, you're familiar with like Sigmund Freud and all of these other guys. There's a Freudian style of counseling and there's a biblical style of counseling. The, the psychological aspect says that there's, there's something wrong inside of you and you need to fester up all of these old, these hidden feelings and you need to deal with all of this and get all of this straight for, for life to start making sense again. You're all familiar with, give me a little head nod, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. And they say, well, if all of those things don't work, we'll give you some sort of medication to get you through and, and that's one style of counseling. That, if you come to me, that's not what you'll get. Not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I have a different approach. There's another style of, of counseling called biblical counseling, and it says that if your world is falling apart, then there's a good chance that there's some sort of sin going on in life that needs to be dealt with. And the belief is, is that when a, a believer in Jesus Christ is living a life that's pleasing to God, generally speaking, there are blessings in life that follow that obedience. 
right? And now I'm making a break here from the old covenant. I'm not promising you sunshine and roses because of obedience to Christ. What I'm telling you is that we serve the great physician and anything that may be going on in life can be solved by the great physician if we will get our life right in line with his principles. And so the people here are having all sort of dissatisfactions going on. There's not enough food to eat. There's not enough drink to drink. They're not warm. They're losing all of their money. And the problem is, is that they've stopped doing the will of God. That God has given them a task and they're not doing it anymore. And so here's the principle for you. We talked about this Wednesday night, but this bears repeating. When believers, excuse me, when a, when a old covenant person looks around at their life, this is someone before the time of Christ, and things are falling apart, when they're not under the blessings of God, they can simply look to the old covenant, they can see that their life is out of line with the old covenant, and they can take several small steps to get their life back in line with the commandments of God, and then blessings await them, right? This is an easy thing. If you were in the old covenant, and someone did not observe the Passover... They didn't go to the temple and give their offerings and their life was falling apart. You could look at their life and you could say, well, you're not doing the things that God told you. If you'll start with the right heart, go into the temple and observing the Passover. And if you'll start tithing again, well, the scripture says that you will then be under the blessings of God, right? That's old covenant. And that's what happens in the book of Ezra. The same principle is true under the new covenant. Maybe your life is falling apart and you can't figure out why. It would do you really well to look and see if your life matches up with what the new covenant tells you to do. And if it doesn't, that may be the reason to why life may be falling apart. You may be in sin and God is trying to bring you back into covenant obedience by bringing about turmoil and different things in your life. You with me? And so there's a, there's a big principle here from the book of Haggai that we need to get a hold of. And that's that we need to examine our lives and make sure that, and this is not a legalistic system here. This is that God has given commandments and we as believers need to live our lives underneath of those commandments. And then enjoy the blessings of God. Because there aren't any blessings outside of obedience to God. There might be trivial enjoyments of sin, but blessings like peace and comfort, and all of the things that the Scripture promises us, those are not found outside of Christ and His will for your life. And so, you've got the book of Haggai. The first sin in Haggai that he approaches is they've stopped building the temple. The solution is that they need to begin building the temple. So, the solution for you is, if things may be falling apart, examine your life. And start living your life underneath of the new covenant again. When I was in student ministry, I've got about 10 years in student ministry. And boy, students can be the most exciting group of people you've ever been around. And on the other hand, sometimes they can be the most frustrating group of people you've ever been around. Adults can be the most enjoyable people to be around. But sometimes we can be the most frustrating people. If you're going to do a youth event... You cannot just say, hey, we're going to camp. It's going to be awesome. All of you go get the money and sign up. You can't do that because nobody will sign up. You have to pay a graphic designer to design you some fancy flyer. And you've got to sell the camp. You can't just say, hey, guys, spiritual growth. I promise you will happen at this camp. Nobody wants to come. Right? You've got to sell this thing and make it big. 
you can tell adults, hey, you should come and be a part of this. Spiritual growth will happen when we do this. You've got to sell it. And so what I would tell students over and over and over again is, listen, I work 40, 50, 60 hours a week sometimes. And I do not sit in my office in my comfortable chair and kick my feet up and come up with ways to ruin your life. I don't. I don't. I don't say, hey, let me pick out a calendar of things that we can do as a church that will absolutely make you miserable. That never happens. Anything that we ever do as a body is geared towards you growing spiritually. And so what that means is that maybe maybe you feel like you're doing everything that God has asked you to do. Let me ask you this. Are you coming, are you committed to coming every time that we have church on Sunday morning? Are you committed to that? Maybe yes, maybe no. Are you committed to coming to Wednesday night services where we as a church pray for our lost friends and family where we pray for each other and then we get into more bible study and it's a time where you can ask absolutely any question of god's word that you want now i don't do that well you should begin to wonder if you should in order to experience all the fullness of things that god may have for you the scriptures tell us in acts that the the earliest believers met daily and broke bread together every single day We don't meet every single day. We meet for one, two hours on Sunday morning, and I ask you for one hour, and I do pretty good with time on Wednesday night, right? We start right about 7 o'clock, and we finish up right there at 8 o'clock, and sometimes we get out early. Promise. I know some of you might have a heart attack on the way home, but we really do. Every once in a while, I use some rollover minutes if there's good questions. But that's what Wednesday night is geared for. You may say, well, I pray at home. You may pray at home, and that's a good thing. But we're told in Scripture, to as we see the nearing of Christ come closer, we are to gather together even more than we normally have. And the Scriptures tell us that we're supposed to be praying together as a body. And so you may pray at home, and I encourage you to pray more at home. But I want to encourage you also to be a part of the New Testament church and gather with the saints on Wednesday night and pray. Some of the other things that we do as a church... We started out just like Haggai, right? We started a church outreach program. We would all say that church outreach should be the primary thing that our church does, right? We should be reaching lost people all around us. And so I sold a church outreach program, and about 40 people showed up. And we went out, and things went spectacular. And I only asked for one hour once a month. And then the next week, how many people came? About half. And the next week, the next month, how many people came? About half. And now our church outreach program has kind of diminished to about the deacons and a few more, right? And so it could be that we are just like Haggai and we started out with the bang. But now that the foundation is built, we've stopped. And so if you're experiencing dissatisfaction, if you're experiencing all sorts of things that you wish could get better. If you're looking for contentment, let me encourage you. I'm not saying that you've got to come to everything the church does, because I know we're busy. We're busy people. But give some thought to doing some more of the things wholeheartedly that we do as a church body. 
Maybe some of those things are things that God is asking of you. And maybe when you're doing some of those things, you'll find more of that contentment and joy that can be lost when you're living outside of covenant obedience with God. Making sense? So let me ask that from you. Let's keep going in the book of Haggai. On that note, I know that we are tired. I know that we are busy, each of us individually, but I wasn't always a pastor, okay? I used to, when I was doing construction, I would get off of work, and then I would go dressed in my nasty concrete-ridden clothes and go to church on Wednesday night. And just by word of testimony, let me tell you that the nights that I wanted to skip church the most and still went were the nights that I received the biggest blessing while I was at church. And I'm sure that if you asked around, you would be able to hear from some of your friends that the exact same thing happens to them. Just a side note. Now what's going on is that the people have been encouraged to rebuild the temple. They've been rebuked by God. And now there's something else going on. In chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st of the seventh, seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, that's the governor, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Remember, the old people were weeping at the building of the the foundation of the temple because it was nothing like Solomon's temple was. And the younger people were so excited that they finally got a temple. He says in verse 4, But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work. For I am... Am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And so you're to have courage and you're to keep building. And the encouragement for you to keep building is that God is with you. Verse 5. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Listen to this. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I shall give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so what's going on here is that God is encouraging his people. He's saying, listen, I know that this temple that you just built looks nothing in splendor as compared to Solomon's temple. I get that. And then he transitions and he says, but the glory of this temple, and he kind of turns, points at himself, the glory of this temple is going to be greater than the, temp- than the glory of the latter temple. And so you've got kind of three temples, I believe, in view here. You've got Solomon's temple, which is the one that is the big, glorious one. And then you have Ezra's temple, which is not near as big and near as glorious. And then you have God and his temple. And he says, this temple is going to be even more glorious than the temple that Solomon built. And get why I say this. If you go over to John chapter 2, Jesus says something that gets him in a bit of hot water. Now, we're going to go back to Haggai. I hope you kept your spot. 
and Jesus finds himself at the temple, and he's cleaned out the temple. Remember, he's made a, a whip, a scourge, and he's driven out all the money chamber, all the money changers. And then it says in verse 16, about midway through, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal from your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign do you show to us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And so Jesus is standing in the temple that Ezra built. See, Ezra builds the temple, then it comes under all sorts of turmoil because of wars, and Herod has a restoration of the temple. Same temple, though. So, Jesus is standing in the temple, and he says, destroy this temple, and I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days. But the people, verse 20, the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. 22. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. And so you see, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the time of Christ coming to earth, the advent we call it. And what happens is that they see that Mary is great with child, and the angel says, what? You're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the encouragement for the Jews to keep rebuilding the temple is that God is with you. And the encouragement for the people is that one day, God's temple, Jesus, is going to be more glorious than everything else around. And so you build this temple because this temple is part of my will. But I'll have you know that while you're disappointed at this temple you're building, there's coming a temple that's going to be more glorious than anything you've ever seen. So be diligent and do what I'm telling you to do and know one day, have encouragement that one day, my temple will be more glorious than anything else. And so this is, this is more of your God dripping out in seed form what's going to happen when Christ comes on the scene. You've got this guy, Haggai. He's paving the way for Jesus to come in the flesh. Just like Ezekiel was paving the way for Jesus to come in the flesh. Then, kind of the last part of the book of Haggai, in chapter 2, verse 10. There's another thing going on amongst the people that they need to be aware of. Verse 10, on the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest for a ruling. God comes on the scene. He says, hey, guys, ask your priest this question for me. This is a very simple question. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooks food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? So the question is, if you have bread in the fold of your garment, excuse me, if you have meat, holy meat in the fold of your garment, and you're walking along with it, if your garment touches the chair, and it touches the microphone, and it touches other stuff, does the holy meat that's in your garment make all of those other objects holy? Right? This is an old covenant question. That's why you're asking the priest. And the priest says the answer. He says no. You've got to find where he says no. End of verse 12. Then Haggai said... Another question. If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? 
And the priest answered, it will become unclean. And so the question is, if you have a man who has been unclean from touching a corpse, remember if you touched any dead body, you became unclean and you had to go through uh, a ritualistic purification. And so they say, if there's an unclean man and he's walking down and he touches the chair and he touches the microphone and he touches other things, do those things become unclean? And the priests say, yes. So, okay, God, what's your point? Then he says, verse 14, Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider this, from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider this, from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree? It has not borne fruit, yet from this day on, I will bless you. A lot to keep up with, but this is what he's saying. He's saying, is it easier to become, is it easier for someone to make the rest of the group unclean or is it easier to make the group clean? You getting the question? Does holy meat make the things around it holy? No. Does an unclean person make the things around it unclean? Yes. The point here from God is that uncleanliness spreads like wildfire. And holiness and cleanliness does not spread like that. And so he's saying, you have been an unclean people from a long, for a long time, and you have been inheriting the curses of the old covenant for a long time. He says, but from this day forward, look around. There's still grain in the, in the shed or in the barn, and the, the grain hasn't come in yet. And so what he's telling the people is that you are receiving a blessing now, whether you realize it or not, and from this day forward, I'm only going to bless you. Not going to bring about the curses anymore. Now it's blessing, right? And he's paving the way for the Christ to come, okay? Because he's the last of the, he's the first of the post-exile prophets, and the prophets are almost finished up. And so what Haggai wants to wants to tell the people, God wants to tell the people through Haggai, is that blessings only are on the way, and Christ is going to be the ultimate blessing that comes, and he wants the people to know that. Before he tells them only blessings are going to come, he tells them, listen, guys, be holy because uncleanliness spreads rampant. It's much more difficult to make things holy. And so just like the New Testament tells us, you need to draw closer and closer and closer to God, meaning you need to be more and more and more holy because the day of the Lord is coming. What does John the Baptist say? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so as we see the day approaching, we need to become closer and closer to Christ. And Haggai says the exact same thing under the old covenant. The closer and closer we're getting to Christ, you need to make sure that you stay clean. And so brothers and sisters, let me urge you today. Keep yourselves clean. Keep yourselves holy. Do not tolerate 
uncleanliness around you. Because uncleanliness, like the things that the scripture says, gossip, murmuring, murder, deceit, all of the things that the Old Testament, excuse me, that the New Testament condemns, all of those things spread like wildfire. Just like you tell your kids, birds of a feather flock together. I'm not saying you're going to be like those kids, but you hang around those kids long enough and you're going to look just like them. You've all told your kids that before. We as believers need to be the same way and we need to keep ourselves clean as the day of the Lord is approaching. Amen? Well, good things are coming in the book of Zechariah. You are going to see all sorts of great things on the horizon. But now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai. Father, we thank you that you promise us that when we are in covenant obedience to you, that blessings follow. And God, those blessings don't all look the same, but there is a benefit of being obedient to the will of God. And Father, we pray that we would all be in covenant obedience to you. Father, if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in you, who doesn't understand what I mean by being in covenant obedience. God, today, I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. And Father, I pray that they would uh, put their faith that you rose from the dead on the third day, that you did resurrect the temple in three days. And God, I pray that they would be saved. Father, I pray that as a church that we would remain clean. I pray that we would be a body that doesn't tolerate sin. And God, I pray that we would eagerly look forward to the day of your return when you call us home. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. Hey, you guys can stay standing just for a minute. Tricked you. Ah, see, you thought you know what I was going to say. We've got uh, Pat and Frank Taylor here that want to join fellowship with us. Uh, they're both, they've both put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they've both been baptized by immersion, and they want to uh, move their letter from Edgewood to here. Uh, just to clear up something, some have asked me, where do I get this letter from? What's this letter? Uh, all we do is get in touch with the church that you're coming from to make sure that you're a member in good standing, and they send us a letter uh, affirming that, and so that's where the whole letter thing comes from. Uh, stems back to the 1800s when troublemakers would jump from church to church. Glad that doesn't happen anymore, aren't you? Um, anyways, that's what's going on. Um, it was a joy to be with you guys this week. I look forward to uh, starting the Christmas season. I hope that y'all have wonderful Thanksgivings with your family. Uh, when you are reunited with all of that family that you only see every so often, I hope that you have a chance to uh, share the gospel with some of them uh, over the holidays. Got a message from our chairman, the deacons. Bill Powell, Jimmy Smithwick, and Bob Spivey have, uh, will be deacons uh, in the coming year. So that's where things stand. We'll run that in the bulletin. Don't forget about the, uh, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, if you've got any questions about the budget, uh, come on Wednesday night and we'll talk about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?